And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's Thursday, which means it's time for another dose of Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, shootout success against the Saints, who took their chance to impress and who didn't, set the sat-nav for St. James's, and yes, a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts. And ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Outta Cobham. Here we go again then, gang. Thanks for joining us for another Chelsea chat. It's me, Matt, alongside The Athletic's Chelsea experts, Liam Toomey. One regular night of Carabao, that's all I ask, Matt. Will never happen. (laughs) Uh, Dominic Fifield's also with us. Hi, Dob. Hi, Matt. Uh, that, that was a regular night. That's how Chelsea are going to win this competition, isn't it? By just drawing one all and going through on penalties every time. Well, it feels like it's wide open now that Manchester City are out. We've got our Carabao Cup back, etc. Uh, later, we will talk all things Newcastle United with George Colkey. But let's start today with Chelsea's midweek League Cup success. be a hero for the second time in the competition this season then for Rhys James. James to send Chelsea into the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. Yeah, He's done it! Chelsea into the last day! Happy to, to help the team. In, I say it always, always the, the same uh, when I have the opportunity to, to help. I'm really, I'm really happy to, to do it. I like the penalties. I feel like uh, comfortable. So, good one. It's a good one. Well, it was an intense match of football and uh, a nice match of football to watch, I guess, for, for the spectators. We had a lot of changes to do in last minute, more or less. And for that, I was happy. I liked the, the, the energy and it was a good game. On Tuesday, Chelsea made it through to the quarterfinals of the League Cup for the first time since 2018. This time, it was Southampton who was seen off in a tie that had an eerie number of similarities to the win against Villa in the previous round. Uh, play the same Premier League team at home for the second time in a month. Tick. Go ahead only to be pegged back. Tick. One all after 90 minutes. Tick. Penalty shootout at the Matthew Harding end. Tick. Rhys James scores the winning spot kick. Full house. Uh, Thomas Tuchel made six changes for this game from Saturday. Of those who haven't featured much, I guess Hakeem Ziyech and and Ross Barkley, probably the standout names. How did they do, Liam? Uh, I think they did okay. Um, There were some flashes from Barkley. I mean, the experience of watching Ziyech, I think a lot of Chelsea fans have become quite familiar with it at this point. He's a a high-risk passer, for better or worse, and I think there were some bad stretches of him giving the ball away um, needlessly as he as he tried to hit a home run every time the ball came to him. But uh, but I thought he had decent moments as well. Um, I, I also thought Saul had quite a nice game, at least going forward, threatened the Southampton goal several times. He kind of got mugged for the equaliser, but um, he looks a little bit closer to being on the pace of Premier League football um, and it was probably quite a good test for him against the Southampton team that really press you uh, and and really put you under pressure. So I thought that was a step forward for him. Overall, 
it was a bit of a ragtag Chelsea performance, particularly in the second half. They got vet. Thomas Tuchel described it as an open fight, and I don't think he ever wants an open fight. I think he wants his team to have a bit more control than that. And of course, they they had to depend on Kepper in the end. Kepper was another one who, who who got a rare opportunity, and a shot went through him, which doesn't really happen to Mendy. But uh, he also made some really important saves and and was the the cynical hero in the shootout. I very much like his penalty demeanour. Um, but he he kind of gave us the full Kepper experience, didn't he? Uh, Dom, it's quite useful that, that Chelsea getting all this practice at penalty shootouts and, and proving to be quite good at it, no? Useful in terms of what, winning trophies and Yeah, ultimately. just that as the season goes on, there, there might be more pressured penalty shootouts yeah. than, than in the Carabao Cup, but they, that's that's the third one this season and they've won them all. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. And one of them's already yielded a trophy, hasn't it, um, against Villarreal? Yeah, and, and I think I think as it stands now, Kepper is... Is showing that he he can he can cope with these pressurized situations. He's he's uh, he's certainly imposing himself on opponents. I mean, Smallbone will still be thinking about his uh, his preparations for that penalty, which he skied over the stand, and that was very much down to Kepper psyching him out. Uh, likewise, yeah, the, the players who are converting, they they're recovering as well. I mean, Mason Mount missed first on on Tuesday and I think they were playing catch up in the in the Villa penalty shootout as well if I remember rightly. So, yeah, there's there's obviously ice that runs through Reese James's veins which which helps as he as he converts all these winning penalties in the shootout. It'll stand them in good stead. I I I suspect that Thomas Tuchel would rather be winning trophies outright in finals like he did last season. Um in Porto rather than going through the agony of a, of a penalty shootout but certainly this second string is it'll help it'll help them grow as as players and uh, yeah that they they certainly won't be phased by penalty shootouts in the in the weeks and months to come Liam were you surprised that he didn't bring Jorginho on to take one was there maybe a, a bit of the kind of Mark Nobles about this <laughs> uh I guess a little bit um but it was clear from the shootout that Chelsea have got quite a few very accomplished takers and quite a few players that really fancy themselves in those situations. I was more surprised, to be honest, that Kai Havertz wasn't in the first five takers because he was he was Leverkusen's regular penalty taker. Obsessed. I, I, I can see Dom's mouth. He missed in um, the Super Cup though, didn't he? I know, yeah, he missed against Villarreal. Maybe there was a bit of fatigue because, you know, he, he played 90 minutes, he covered a lot of ground. I, he he probably played maybe a little bit more than Tuchel wanted to, given that he's he's the only striker option. But you kind of want to see him step up in those situations if uh, if this you know mooted lack of confidence is uh, is going to be overcome. But he proved again from the corner that he's the the Chelsea striker that Chris Sutton should have been. So I, I don't have any major concerns about Kai Havertz. To the listeners, we're also conducting this on Zoom and just behind Liam is a massive poster of Kai Havertz pinned to his bedroom wall. <laughs> or, or wedding pictures, whichever, you know, whichever, whichever fits the narrative. Imposed over your wife's, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Chelsea lost three players before this game to injury the day before training. Christensen, Aspilicueta and Loftus-Cheek. Uh, I did see somebody describe Christensen's as a tooth injury. I'm not sure you can get an injury to your tooth. 
Um, but anyway, presumably they're all doubts for, for Saturday's game. Big shame, Dom, for, for Loftus-Cheek in particular, because, you know, it might just be a, a kind of temporary thing. He might be back on Saturday, but the last thing that we want is for him, just as he's getting going, to, to have another little problem that's going to sideline him for a while. Yeah, it didn't sound as if there was a sense of panic, though, um, from, from Tuka when he was addressing those injuries. So fingers crossed it's just a niggle and... Yeah, you know what? The way that Loftus Cheek's been playing, maybe he's played himself very much into the into the Premier League first team contention rather than the League Cup first team contention. So maybe it was just a, a precautionary um, resting in, in midweek with a, with a view to him featuring at St James's Park on Saturday. I, I, the fact that they coped without those players again just just shows you the strength of depth um, in this Chelsea squad, and it's also good that. You know that Vale and Sharman Lowe were, were able to go onto the bench, and they would have they would have been, been a bit of an education for them to sit there and and experience the occasion from from such close proximity. Uh, we don't yet know who Chelsea will face in the quarterfinals because they're saving the draw for the uh, the hallowed territory of Soccer AM on Saturday morning. Uh, we do know that the title <laughs> will be played the week commencing. That's really got to you that, hasn't it? Because I thought you were tweeting about that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a traditionalist, you know. I'd much rather it was at that bowls club in Manchester with a bloke <laughs> off the only way is Essex like it was in the last round. I thought you were going to say they were going to do the draw at like 5am to hit prime time on Mars or something. <laughs> <laughs> what did they do last year? Was there one that was on Twitter from a supermarket? Was that a fever dream that I had? Or... <laughs> Feel like one happened in Asda. Anyway, hosted by Dale Winton. <laughs> Rest in peace. Uh, so there's going to be a new name on the trophy this season. Anyway, it might well be Chelsea's. Next today, though, we'll turn our attention to Saturday's trip to the northeast. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Chelsea head to St. James's Park on Saturday to take on Newcastle United. It'll be the first home game since the departure of Steve Bruce. So expect the mood to be one of jubilation. And Liam... Chelsea have only lost one of 13 Premier League away games under Thomas Tuchel. Have you got a theory as to why that is? Was it easier last season without home supporters there to, to barrack opposition players? Um, well, I, th- I think he's just built a team that's very, very difficult to beat, hasn't he? And if you don't concede many goals, you're on the right track towards towards a record like that. I think the more impressive thing from Chelsea's perspective is that, you know, that is the case and they haven't really hit top gear too many times um, or produced too many of what you might call complete performances yet. Um, especially, you know, you look in a lot of these games, including Southampton in the Cup, they seem to have fallen off a level 
defensively as well in terms of the chances they're giving up to other teams and they're relying on their goalkeepers a bit more. But one way or another, um, it, they're, they're still getting it done defensively and uh, it's encouraging. Uh, I, I have a bad feeling that uh, Newcastle are going to, you know, because narrative cause some sort of an upset at St. James's Park. Chelsea have a terrible recent record there and it's going to be a cauldron. Um, you know, the whole post-Bruce bounce, it all feels very, very set up for Newcastle to raise their game several levels. But you know, who knows? I mean, this these kind of performances... Sorry, Ruby's just started squeaking a toy <laughs> right next to me. Yeah, th- these, kind of, these kind of setbacks don't happen to Tuchel's Chelsea as much, so we'll see. But in normal times, this would be the kind of game that you'd pin as a, a Chelsea loss. Dom, you'll, you'll be up there, as will I, on Saturday. Chelsea have had some really difficult away fixtures so far. I mean, I know Arsenal didn't prove to be difficult, nor did Spurs, but they ought to have. Liverpool, Juventus, Brentford, and now Newcastle with this sort of new interim slash he's not Steve Bruce manager bounce. Uh, it's been tricky on the road so far. Yeah, it has. It has. Um, and to have emerged from that with just that defeat, the narrow defeat at, at Juventus is is fairly impressive. Look, I don't think, I don't think Chelsea's seasoned performers will find, will sort of quail at the atmosphere at Newcastle, whatever happens. I mean, they'll be used to this and it will be a, yeah, it'll be a a din, a tumultuous din. It'll be, it'll be a, a grand occasion, but ultimately they should keep their heads. And I don't think we should kid ourselves for all that, Newcastle are under sort of semi-new management. They're they're not great. They're really not great. And if you can keep Wilson, Callum Wilson, quiet, and and Alan Sam Maximum quiet as well, and 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 Crystal Palace did that last weekend. Maximum Sam Maximum was substituted off because he was completely ineffective. They didn't do such a good job on Wilson. It has to be said. But but if they can do that, then they don't offer that much threat. They haven't got a lot. Of of bite in their in their game, and they're obviously they're trying to be slightly stodgier to play against now. Um, so I th- I think you still have to look at it as an opportunity for Chelsea. You know, they're, they're league leaders. Last week they played the team that was bottom of the league, and they thumped them seven nil. This week they're playing the team that is uh, second bottom of the league. It it really shouldn't be um, a particularly daunting occasion for them to cope with, and. All it will take probably is 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 the opening goal, and I suspect then that that Newcastle's optimism will be choked. With any luck, St. Maximum will still be utterly heartbroken that Steve Bruce is gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That that post was incredible. It's like the end of Dead Poets Society. It's, it's <laughs> genuinely touching. Or maybe he'll just score and reveal a T-shirt with the I Heart Brucey or something. <laughs> Bit of a spoiler, that, Liam. I'm not going to watch Dead Poets Society now. Well, joining us now is the Athletic senior writer and a man who knows all about Newcastle United, George Colkin. Uh, George, w- what's the mood amongst the squad now that there's there's no longer Steve Bruce to contend with? Obviously, they knew Graham Jones before, but, but has there, there been a big kind of revitalisation amongst the players? 
Um, yes, I think there was a big lift last week. I think it was, you know, that was the decision that needed to be taken for everybody's sake, really. And um, I mean, no matter what the sort of personal opinions were on Steve Bruce, there was just that feeling of uncertainty around the training ground, just like with the rest of the club. And, um, you know, they were looking at him knowing almost certainly that he was going to go. And indeed he did. And so, yes, that needed to happen. So that the, there, there was a lift. I think what we saw at Crystal Palace last weekend was just a reminder again of how difficult uh, a position a position they're in. And they went from kind of being on the front foot, trying to have a go against Tottenham, albeit in a pretty ridiculous way, to sort of doing doing the absolute opposite against Palace, trying to stiffen up and really sort of setting up to not concede a goal. So yes, there's been a lift, but there's also been a bit of a bit of reality hitting home too. Just to follow up on that, is there any chance of Graham Jones getting the gig full time? Obviously, he's a very highly rated coach, but he didn't do particularly well when he was he was given the reins at Luton and didn't last very long. Yeah, I mean, it's it's trying trying to well, it's a good question. I mean, trying to sort of get to the bottom of what they're thinking and and what their plans are is difficult because there are these three sort of ownership strands, and then when it comes to actually making a decision things are taking a very, very long time. So, for example, Frank McParland, who's been earmarked for a kind of big recruiting role, is still waiting for his contract to be signed off three weeks down the line. So um, that's just a sort of, that's just a bit of context about decision-making. They have been talking internally about what they called an interim appointment, and Jones has been named interim manager, albeit he's, he's talked about being in charge for a couple of games. I wouldn't be surprised if that, if that kind of drifted on for another game. But I, I don't think he would be the choice to lead them forward unless they suddenly start winning lots of lots of games. So I don't think so. But the caveat there is that, you know, all three, all three strands of this ownership are being bombarded with names and having their own conversations with people who weren't on the sort of original shortlist which was distributed amongst them right at the start of all this so it's a bit difficult to be definitive but I wouldn't have thought so now. George I had the dubious pleasure of watching them last weekend at Celeste Park as well but um, there were times in that game they were actually playing six at the back not not five I mean Longstaff was was, was filling in there as well and that was against Palace. Um, I just yeah. wondered if that do you think they actually have the defensive resources and personnel at present to cope against a better team, and which Chelsea undoubtedly are, I don't think they've got the resources to do anything really properly. I think that is the problem. I mean, it was one of the sort of startling things of the Bruce tenure was hearing him say, not just kind of game to game to game, but year to year, saying we don't have balance. Now, obviously, it was partly his job to try and get to try and get balance, but they didn't have it. And and you know this squad again it's the it's the, it's the short blanket analogy that Benitez always used to use too that if you if you try and sort of play to the strength of one part of the team you expose another part um but it was very much that reversion to sort of early premier league days under Benitez at Newcastle trying to sort of sit back trying to trying to hold the line and and look to sort of use you know Wilson's finishing or St Maximus uh, kind of ability to get Newcastle up to the pitch where they could. I don't think they've got, you know, that it's one of the great failures of their return to the Premier League is that they don't have any sort of identity. They don't have uh, any sort of system that they can they they can use in all circumstances. And and a big part of the Bruce story was just this bouncing between 
systems usually you know usually when they got hammered which they which you always knew was coming and you know it it, it is it's kind of pretty criminal really that they've had to go back to setting their stall out at the start of the season to being more adventurous to now now trying to hold hold the line again Obviously, this season it, it's all about staying up. But long term, do you think the owners are, are looking at what Chelsea have done as a kind of model that they could replicate, or was that too long ago now to really be as relevant in twenty twenty one? I mean, one thing that they definitely do want to replicate is the idea of academy. I mean, I'm sure that's something that a lot of teams would love to do. But what you know, they are saying. I think. I think one thing that kind of get, keeps getting lost is this idea that Saudi Arabia is just going to pour money in sort of willy-nilly and that's not the case you know it is going to be run as a business and the idea is for it to be a sustainable business nice idea difficult in practice but they want to you know they really want to um you know to to use their academy to produce their own players but also to have income coming in and so definitely the Chelsea model and and I guess the Chelsea model in terms of the last couple of years of those young players actually being used as well is something that they're very very keen to replicate. George, I wanted to ask a slightly different question. Um, I'm wondering how Newcastle fans are coping with the kind of realisation that rival fans and rival clubs are now actively rooting for them to fail because this is something that Chelsea fans at this point are well used to. It's kind of a, a takeover rite of passage, I think. But at least from the outside, my, my impression was always that growing up, you know, Newcastle were kind of broadly liked and their fans were quite quite broadly liked and then during the Ashley era there was a lot of sympathy for what the fans were going through so I'm just wondering how they're kind of dealing with that transition well I've written about I've written something about that so thank you very much for mentioning that that's kind of just gone up uh, gone up on the site today yeah I mean I, the people I I mean I think we do have this kind of warm fuzzy memory of Newcastle in the 90s and they played that astonishing astonishing football under Keegan I mean of course it ended in it ended in failure so you know that sort of benign feeling is kind of allowed because Newcastle never sort of became that threat that they they sort of promised to be for a while. The fans I sort of that I spoke to said that um, that they've been prepared for this. I mean, obviously, the other side of it and the very serious side of it is is the consequences that come come with this takeover. It's not just about money; it's about Saudi Arabia's human rights record, appalling human rights record, and how you sort of deal with that as a fan base. And, um, you know, they've had some practice at this now. They've been thinking about it for 18 months. It's not just something that's kind of re-emerged or emerged in the last three weeks from nowhere, but it's led to a lot of painful, painful discussions. Um, but then, yeah, how, how, how that filters through onto the terraces. I mean, the people I spoke to, the way it filters through on the terraces is what you would expect in football. That's part of football tribalism. It's part of football culture. It's something else to you know to, to to use particularly if you're away fans I mean that's just what it's all about and I think people are relaxed about that but they do speak to a sort of wider um feeling that Newcastle have been either sort of ignored or misunderstood for a long time now Don, you know Don worked up here he knows the region he knows the region very well and there just always has been that sense that um that from afar Newcastle fans are looked at as deluded and uh, over-expectant that there's this sense that they're sort of demanding the world when really under Ashley, albeit they've mostly been in the Premier League, um, but not always, 
they've been they've been crying out for a club that tries, you know, a club that actually strains to get better and to improve, and they haven't had that. It's it's always been it always feels to me like it's been a complicated story to tell because it's not it's not Bury, it's not Bolton, it's not Sunderland, it's not that sort of club, but it's a club that has sort of lost existential meaning. The you know, wrapping my own head around it over the last few weeks, I've found very, very difficult. Um, I just only have to look into the, in the comment section now after anything, after anything I write to find that it's a very different, uh, different world. It'd be nice to, I mean, you know, the, the idea of Newcastle competing for trophies is something that I told myself wouldn't ever happen again in my lifetime. And life actually got um, a bit more pleasant after that, actually. I quite enjoyed it. So having to think about Newcastle as potentially... Um, to be honest, really, I'm getting ahead of myself here. What Newcastle need to do is win a match. That would be kind of quite nice. And then we'll, have to, you know, we'll we'll do the open top celebration when they win a win a game of football this season, and then you know leave the bigger stuff till later. Well, that that was going to be my final question. It'll be the tenth Premier League game of the season already on Saturday, and Newcastle yet to win one. Any chance that they can they can upset Chelsea at the weekend? No. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Alison. We'll be delighted to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we keep saying that it's like I was at uh, I was at Palace at the weekend, and uh, and Matt, Matt Wiesenham, our our writer, was there saying, "Oh yeah, it's just so Palace. It would just be so Palace if we lose. You know, if we lose to Newcastle in our first game, it's like, come on, Matt. It's like the answer to that is always yes, but New- Newcastle. <laughs> yes, but Newcastle. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Chelsea. I mean, I I and you know, been brilliant this season and. Um, I, I kind of always persuade myself that things will be different. And it's like this, this whole idea of new era. So we've had two games of new era now. So the first game of new era was obviously Tottenham. And, um, you know, that was a brilliant atmosphere for 10 minutes. Wow, it was just, it was everything that you'd expect St. James's Park to be or want St. James's Park to be. And remind yourself, it can be, but very rarely is. And Newcastle did pour forward. Um, and then they were sort of exposed. I would like, I'd like Chelsea to have a taste of that. I mean, I would like you all to sort of experience that again, because um, Tottenham definitely wobbled, but they also have very good players, or they certainly have a couple of very good players. And um, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea are, are of a completely different league. I don't, I don't think it would be um, a, a very different experience for Chelsea. But it, it would be the first home game after see Bruce has gone, and. I think we're finally sort of getting this notion of a club again. I don't want to use that sort of cliche about getting a club back because I think that has sort of connotations post post takeover. But one of the sort of good things in that Tottenham game was that realization that for the first time for what felt like forever, you actually had all the key components of a club on the same side. So whereas normally you've been going to matches and everyone hates the owner. Pretty much everybody hates the manager. Fans hate each other. You know, there's been this sort of internal um, stuff going on. And for 10 minutes against Spurs, you saw everybody on the same page and you remember just how powerful Newcastle can be in those circumstances. So I hope Chelsea get a little taste of that. But no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not confident. <laughs> well, I would say enjoy the game, but that sounds like it might be a bit of a stretch. So I'll just say thanks for one joining day. us, George. One day, one day, maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Remember, you can read George's work only in The Athletic. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. Newcastle United versus Chelsea gets underway at three o'clock UK time Saturday. We'll talk it all through on Monday's pod.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team back in action this weekend as they play the semi-final of last season's FA Cup away to Manchester City on Sunday. And we'll discuss that on Monday's pod and they're sure to go deep on it on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, congrats, by the way, to Super Fran Kirby winning her 50th England cap in the 10-0 demolition of Latvia. Kirby helped herself to a couple of assists. Millie Bright was amongst the scorers for the Lionesses. Uh, in terms of the men's academy size, development squad drew their final group game in the EFL Trophy 0-0 at Cheltenham on Tuesday. They lost the subsequent shootout for the bonus point. Not that it matters. Chelsea had already qualified for the knockout stages. Uh, the next league game for them is against Everton at Kings Meadow this coming Saturday. It's a one o'clock kickoff. Meanwhile, the under-18s also at home this weekend. They take on Reading at Cobham. Right, we're on the home stretch now. There's always time for a quiz on our Thursday pod. <laughs> Oh, somebody's excited. (laughs) Here we go then, chaps. Three questions each loosely related to Chelsea and Newcastle. Liam, you can go first. What was the score in both Premier League meetings between Chelsea and Newcastle last season? Uh, the easiest question of the bunch. <laughs> but the fact that your hand has immediately gone to your face in despair is... No, the, my left eye is my remembering eye, so I cover my right <laughs> eye. <laughs> um, I, I genuinely can't remember either match, which says a lot for Steve Bruce and <laughs> the Steve Bruce era at Newcastle. Do you want to have a punt um, or should we let Dom steal? 1-0. One, one Dom, can you steal? 2-0. Two 2-0, nil. Two nil, total guess, totally correct, yeah. <laughs> right, I'm done now. See you later. <laughs> uh, well, let's see if you can force home your advantage. Oh, dear. Oh, crikey. 
Some of these are a bit tricky. The last time Chelsea and Newcastle met in a non-Premier League game was the FA Cup fourth round in 2018. Which former Chelsea player, who never actually took the field for the Blues, came off the bench for Newcastle in said tie? All right, I think I know this. Okay. What was his name? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's, I don't remember his first name. Was it Atsu? Bless you. Yes, it was Christian. <laughs> don't do that to me. You're worse than Chris Tarrant. That was absolutely awful. What's his first well, name? Christian. 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 Right? Yeah. Yeah. 2-0. Yeah. Right, you need this, Liam, really. Uh, which current Newcastle defender scored for Sunderland at Stamford Bridge on the final day of the 2016-17 season? Yeah. Uh, the goal came after three minutes. It put Sunderland 1-0 up, but they lost 5-1. Uh, Hand over mouth now. Almost in shock <laughs> at the degree of difficulty. Well, the eye clearly didn't work. So, <laughs> uh, trying to remember which defenders have gone from Sunderland to Newcastle. I think he was on loan at Sunderland, wasn't he? Mm. Oh, for God's sake, Dom! Don't make it clear that you're primed for the steal. <laughs> I can't remember again. I can't remember his first name, or indeed, all of his second name. <laughs> I genuinely don't remember. Go on then, Dom. It's the fullback. Is it Mankio? It is Mankio. Yeah, and I it's don't 3-0. remember him at Sunderland at all. I've Happy got a funny feeling he played in a four-nil win at Sellers Park once, which is why I remember him at Sellers. Okay, well done. Three-nil, and this is only his second question. This is extraordinary. Here you go, Dom. Uh, former Newcastle winner Norberto Solano played 20 times against Chelsea, wow. but only twice finished on the winning side and he never scored against the Blues. Uh, the obvious question, therefore, is what brass musical instrument does oh, Norberto Solano play? Now, I've, I wrote a piece up, I interviewed him once when I worked there. Oh, God, it was something stupid like a cornet or a trumpet. Um, was it a trumpet? Was it a tr- <laughs> uh, trumpet? Trumpet is correct. This is extraordinary. Was it a trumpet or was it a corner? Is surely going to be the title of the pod, uh, by the way. Uh, Norberto Solano told 442 Magazine in 2005, I don't think Bobby Robson was so keen on my playing the trumpet. He didn't know about it when he first took over as manager, but he soon found out when I rang him up one night and played down the phone to him. I'm not too sure he was amused. What a lovely image that is. Uh, right, here's your final question, Liam. You really need to get this to, to salvage any kind of respectability. Uh, who did Cameroonian midfielder Jeremy play more games for, Chelsea or Newcastle? Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say as a disclaimer that my um, that my revision for this quiz was entirely based on Celestine Babiaro? <laughs> right, Okay. I bet that's the answer to the last question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say Chelsea. Chelsea is correct and you're on the board. Uh, Twice as many, in fact, exactly. 108 Chelsea games, 54 for Newcastle. Uh, Dom, you can showboat with this one. You've long since won. Uh, Final question of this week's quiz, and this is definitely the hardest. 
Although How many Instagram followers does? You are on the beat on this one. Uh, Chelsea drew one all with Newcastle at St James's Park on the final day of the 2004-05 season. Which player came off the bench in the 89th minute to make their only Chelsea appearance? Four five. Yeah. Shout out to the one listener who's got this right, by the way. I hadn't heard of this player, I must say. Oh, well, then we. Well. So is it? It's going to be like a. What's the name of that midfielder that that Mourinho bought? That a Portuguese fella that never. Not Manish. No, not him. No, the one who ended up at Wickham or somewhere like that. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Go on. Can I have a punt? Yeah, yeah. Is it Minero? No. It was not. It was okay. Stephen Watt. Oh right. Oh uh, yeah, he's done a few interviews, hasn't he? Scottish guy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well done, Dom. You won that convincingly, despite not getting the last question. So that's a, a nice boost for you for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you there? And before we go, Dob, tell us a bit about this piece you've written about Tony Rudiger and these ridiculous runs that, that he goes on, which he's certain are going to end in a goal one day. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I channeled my inner Liam and, and braved Y Scout and uh, looked at some of his, his bursts forward. Um, I, I actually wanted to work out, first of all, whether he was one of the the more prolific ball carrying centre halves in the in the Premier League. And it turns out he's he's actually not. Um but it's just the maybe the timing and the, the general impression that he gives when he performs these barnstorming runs. They're often at quite tight moments in games, so they tend to sort of raise the mood of the crowd. The Zenit St Petersburg was one was the one that stuck in my mind um when it was still nil nil, I think it was five minutes into the second half. And there was one against Southampton, which almost yielded a goal for Lukaku. It was flagged offside in the end. Um, but yeah, it's 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 clearly something. It's a, it's another weapon to Chelsea's armoury that they have this free centre half um, usually because they outnumber their forwards are playing up against. And Rudiger in particular is more than happy to gallop into the space ahead of him. He should be fined every time he shoots. Yeah, a lot of people have actually leapt on that. Initially, as a sort of, he, one thing he's not doing this year quite as much as he did in previous years is is, is having these wildly optimistic forty yard shots that end up out the ground. Um, he seems to be slightly more composed now in the final move. And Mark Carey, our one of our stats and, and data analysts and specialists, has has actually drawn up a graphic which shows you what he does at the end of all these runs and. There are only a few shots in there actually this season. A lot of them are, are passes or um, um, or the occasional misplaced pass. But he he's, he seems less enthusiastic and, and less less wild in his uh, his attempts from distance this season. Uh, speaking of Tony Rudiger, Simon's got a piece up on the Athletic as well about the fact that he, Andreas Christensen, Cesar Azpilicueta, and Thiago Silva are all out of contract come June, and the latest on who might be staying and who might be going to pastures new. Uh, Liam, you're off at the moment, but you'll be watching the game from the comfort of your own home on Saturday. I have no doubt. Are you expecting Chelsea to get the W? I am, yeah. Although. Like I said, the the kind of fatalist in me thinks that this is kind of set up for a for a Newcastle win. I think this Chelsea team is, I well, the optimist in me thinks Chelsea, this Chelsea team are too good for games like that. But we'll see, won't we? And of course, based on 
my performance in this podcast. Um, I'm also spending a lot of time watching Supermarket Sweep and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> well, reruns of both, weirdly. Challenge TV, the place to go for that, to sign up, etc. and so on. Uh, right, let's get out of here. We'll be back on Monday. We'll be looking back on that Newcastle game. There's also another Champions League match to preview on Tuesday night. Do join us then if you can. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>